Act Two of Crossings, a Fairy Play, by Walter de la Mer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, The Ghost and the Wine. Time, about ten o'clock at night on the 10th of December. Scene. In the vague looming light of starshine and hoarfrost, the dark, low-ceilinged parlor of crossings. Beyond its slightly bow-shaped French windows lies outspread the gentle sloping lawn of a wintry garden, skirted by woods of hazel, holly, and thorn. A young moon that has been in the heavens is set, and the winter constellations tremble there like fireflies. On the left of the room is an open hearth, with a roomy inglenook and sphinx-headed fire-dogs, and beyond the hearth is a casement window, a peeping window. A dial clock stands silent on the chimney-piece, flanked by two old candlesticks, and surmounted by a Queen Anne mirror, its quicksilver dimmed and foxed with age. On the nearer side of the hearth is a low, round-headed door, its twin door being to the left of a Chippendale bureau, which stands against the right wall and faces the hearth. Toward this side of the room is a spinet. Against the darkness of the curtains, motionlessly gazing into the night, is what would clearly appear to be the shape of a gentle little old woman, attired in a black silk flannel dress and a cap. Firm-lipped, round-browed, keen-eyed, she is the portrait of which this parlor at Crossings is the frame. She may once have been Miss Susan Wildersham. A thin, wind-like music stirs in the woods. It dies off into nothingness when the muffled clanking of a distant bell resounds through the house, followed after an interval by a more prolonged and violent peal. A pause. Then, beyond the windows, a decrepit four-wheeled cab, drawn by an old knock-kneed white mare, is seen to crawl into sight and come to a standstill in the hoarfrost. Tony, in his silk hat and muffled up to the eyes, scrambles down from the box beside the cabman. He peers in at the windows. They are locked. The voices of the children are heard gabbing together in the cab. Tony disappears, and presently the little peeping window is thrust open. He is seen straddling its sill. He lights a match. Ahoy! Ahoy! Anybody here? The ghost vanishes. Oh, serene Sally, not a squeak, not a whisper. I'll climb in and open the door. Whistling to give himself confidence, he clambers in through the casement and opens the French windows. Sally, Francis, and Anne, their shapes hunched up like Arctic explorers, descend from out of the cab and come slowly in. Clustered together, they stand mute, gazing as if spellbound about them. How ghostly! How ghostly, Sally! Sally, to herself. A dream. Always. Tony, opening a door. Ahoy! Ahoy! Anybody here? Oh, Tony, hush! The echo! Besides, we don't know for certain. Aunt Agatha may be, be somewhere, you know? The train was hours and hours, hours late. To herself. It couldn't have come too slowly. Utterly still as if one had been lost and found. Look, Francis, it is as if the frostlight, why, floated in the air. And oh, a spinet like Mrs. Somerset's. What I have been longing for, for ages and ages. She runs her fingers over the tinkling ivory keys, and as if in echo, the wood music wells faintly into the room. 
Francis stealthily pushes the jar at the further door. Francis, to herself, Dark enough there. Sally, I tell you what, nobody would know it who wasn't here. It isn't true. Please, Sally, will you pull down this horrid shawl from my mouth? I can't be seeing nothing, and my breath sweated the wool. Anne slowly revolves as Sally unwinds her gray scarf and shawl, revealing the child at last in her Bayswater livery. Tony, meanwhile, tiptoes about in his heavy boots, lighting candles. He crouches, match in hand, over the hearth. Tony, a fire, in the dead of night. What would Aunt Agatha say? I like this place, I do. This is the house where I was born. The others bow themselves down in laughter, their hands over their mouths. <laughs> I'm just as hungry as a wolf. If I don't get something to eat this very minute, I shall expire into a corpse. <sighs> How perfectly lovely the flames make everything, as if a hundred thousand million eyes are twinkling at us. Come along, Tony. Allons, Savant. Let's explore. Oh! oh. oh. Mr. Widge, the prehistoric cabman of Little Crossings, has suddenly deposited a huge trunk on the floor. In a seven-caped ulster he stands, like Ararat, awaiting his fare. Oh, Mr. Cabman, is that you? I am pleased to see you again. She searches feverishly in her pockets and little handbag. Do you know, I think, Mr. Cabman, a most curious thing. I think I must have packed my purse in the trunk. There's nothing like keeping things safe, is there? Even when you are absent-minded, please sit down. You must be positively frozen up there in the cold. Mr. Widge, sardonically. Frozen, miss? Not Mr. Widge, miss. Do fick through. The last time we come along here, we were taking somebody out, we were. Which butter wouldn't melt in the poor lady's mouth. God bless he. Leaves nobody, they don't. A spectral wail of music drifts in on the air. The old mare lifts her head and neighs. Whoa there! That's my old Polly, that is, starving in the frost. Bandboxes, odemoles, tips and tops and ridicules there might have been, but that poor dead and gone Miss Susan were a lady she were. I'll wait outside. A dubious whinnying rises faint and shrill out of the midst of the woods. The children stand, stock still, listening. Anne trots off to the little window mounts a chair, and looks out. Tony, boldly. Only the wind. That means snow. Come along, Francis. They emerge furtively through the door to the right, carrying candles. Sally takes Anne to the fire and sits her in the inglenook. There, mummykins, warm your ten toes. There stayed good Queen Bess, oh, a-shining on her throne. Up, Jessie, down, Docket. My money's gone. Another brandy-ball? One, two, and in goes you. Anne, crunching up her brandy ball. If we were all to wake up here, Sally, everything, everything would be a dream. Wake up, mummykins. We mustn't. We just simply mustn't. I couldn't bear it. She ecstatically whisks up a candlestick, then pauses, drops a solemn, half-mocking little curtsy as if to someone in her mind, and kneels down before the trunk. Now for the purse. My gracious goodness, if I had lost it. She pulls a large key out of her bodice by a black ribbon, unlocks the trunk, and pushes back its red-lined canvas lid. The voices of Francis and Tony are heard within, hollowly calling. 
one by one sally tugs out anne's dolls there nan sarah samaville elspeth oddbodkins poor oddbodkins nose is the least bit flattened and which all comes of kissing the back of sally's clothes brush she sits on her heels talking to herself you must know if i didn't just go on talking nonsense i simply couldn't bear it i couldn't and as for responsibility you keep on saying it but you must know it's there all the time and to her dolls dear dear sarah we's in the country crossings now she suddenly crouches in as if petrified please sally is this a drawing-room sally burrowing into the trunk and scattering out higgledy-piggledy clothes combs shoes galoshes brushes sponge-bags etc a drawing-room no 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 then i may have all my dollies here i like this place i do i like places what are not drawing-rooms she arranges her dolls in a row their feet toward the fire francis and tony return laden with spoil from the pantry and store cupboards she isn't all, all the, the little, little beds are made and not on one is auntie laid. laid all the little beds are made and not on one is auntie laid all the little beds are made and not on one is auntie laid we've searched everywhere over under up and in the sweetest coziest lonesomest rooms and the kitchen tombstone floor enormous copper pots and pans jack and the beanstalk crockery boot jacks warming pans hams and cheeses jams jellies and jorums bins bottles and blunderby and there sally peeping and whiskering at us from where the cuckoo comes out of the clock a mouse my dear it can't it can't be real she blows her nose excuse me elder sister salina loon it makes me cry sally emerging once more out of the trunk like a seal out of the water there i knew it was safe somewhere now we must pay the cabman will you tony i think it comes best from a man how much oh he'd know that and then perhaps don't you think give him double he's a little outspoken but he couldn't possibly have been kinder could he francis tony goes out but hastily reappears i say the old boy sitting up there in the stars like a toadstool fast asleep and polly too sighing like a grampus why did you open the doors what, what doors? doors the cab doors but we, we didn't. didn't tony staring they are wide open now and such a queer smell in the cab like roots bracken roots and moss and mould like woods you know there's rabbits in the garden too one hopped out as i popped in and to herself bunnies bunnies she mounts up to the window again making a curious little persuasive whistling noise rabbits tony i always thought they hibernated perhaps aunt susan used to feed them to herself and now the cabman with a resolute set of her small head she goes toward the window but is transfixed midway by the discovery on a low stool under the curtains of an infinitesimal greenish bottle filled with a pale green liquor and set round about it minute goblets out in this comparative darkness their crystal gleams strangely like concentrated starlight france quick did you ever see anything so perfectly magical and lovely think we never noticed them before the children gather round the little stool gazing 
Anne, nodding her head. I know what that is, Sally. That's what the little dwarfses were drinking in the picture of Snow White. Frances pours a trickle of the wine into one of the goblets and lifts it to her nose. Smell, Sally. Like wild roses, honeysuckle. No, wood violets. I can't think. We mustn't taste it. Tony, sniffing. Oh, oh, oh. That makes Nan's head go round, that does. That smells like honey. Balancing the glass a little dizzily, Tony tiptoes out to rouse the cabman. Mr. Widge follows him in, cocking a drowsy eye at the little glass held up to his nose in his enormous red-mittened fist. With a sustained wink at Tony, he drains it at a gulp and subsides instantly into a profound reverie. Mr. Widge, as if out of a swoon, Now, what I says is this, ladies and gentlemen, leastways, one gentleman, it's three score years and ten or more as the crow flies since Joseph Widge were of an age when it weren't no consequence in a manner of speaking what kind of an age he were. So I, and now, with infinite mournfulness, melted, that's why I say, melted, to the very cockles. It's round us, round us, you and me and all of us. Open your eyes in your innocent craniums and see. You ask me? Well, then, what I say is, maybe Crossings Woods is Crossings Woods. Trees, in a manner of speaking, sticking up out of the ground, t'other by which, criss-cross and the more the merrier. And yet, and yet, ladies and gentlemen, he stoops almost double, his head thrust out of his capes. There's more there than what meets the eye. As for its being dead of night and so cold as you can't count your bones snapping, and you all packed tight as little fishes in my old cab, not to mention the luggage, why, five and twenty shillings, miss, and thank you kindly, which is less than half price and not a nay penny for the toddlums. And when me old friend Widge says, there, he means... Raising his cape like a vulture. Everywhere. Sally, with a deep sigh. Everywhere, Mr. Widge. Thank you, Mr. Widge. I'm sure that must be very reasonable. She counts out the money into his hand. He is groping his way out when Anne tugs him by the sleeve. That's a brandy ball, Mr. Widge. That's for poor Polly out in the cold. Mr. Widge, stretching out his hand, on which lies the brandy ball, beams round on them all like a winter sunset. May him who made the very first horse that munched oats in the ark. Bless your kindly nature, Missigans. Fold a roll, fold a roll, fold a roll, roll, oh, and good night, all. Good night, Mr. Wage. The sound of the cab rolling away dies out in the frozen silence. Sally, apprehensively, Would you ever believe, France, that the least little drop of wine like that in that enormous cabman we must be very, very careful of it. Tony, pouring out some private decoction from a great saucepan on the fire. Come along, children. Supper. Sally and Francis sit themselves on the floor by the hearth. Anne, meanwhile, has secretly licked out the last flavor of the wine from Mr. Widge's glass, and stands, eyes shut, smacking her lips. When she opens them again, she discovers a little letter, cock-hat shape, that has fallen off the table onto the floor. She sits down and examines it in the frostlight. Sally, uneasily. 
Twenty-five shillings. It seems a good deal, France, for half price, you know, and not counting Nan. Still, the cabman would know best, though, father said, a most curious thing. I was thinking of him just now, and of Aunt, and, you know, and trying to really hope she was being as happy as we are. And I couldn't. I simply couldn't remember her name. Tony, his mouth full of biscuit. Susan, silly. Frances, mopping her face. <laughs> I do wish you'd swallow your own crumbs, Tony. No, not Aunt Susan. Bayswater. That aunt. It's the smell of that curious wine, I suppose. And all I can just remember is that it began with an A. Tony, steadily. I love my aunt with an A because she's amiable and all a-blowing and a-growing. I hate her with an A because she's angelic, annular, and er, aristocratic. I took her to the sign of the ape and alligator and treated her to artichokes and, and, ash. Her name is, er, uh, um, er. Uh, Anne, sneezing in the cold at the window. A tissue. They all burst out laughing. Anne creeps over behind Sally and puts her hands over her eyes. I saw a star then, Sally, enormous star. It wonk at Anne out of the wood. And there, there was a... What do you think? Three guesses, Sally. A pair of glass slippers. No. A gin in a bottle? No. I can't think. Tell me, Mummykins. I'm seeing such Catherine wheels in my head. A letter, Sally, from the fairies. Look. A letter, and addressed to me. Sarah Wildersham, Crossings. Who could it be from? She opens it and looks for the signature. France, Tony, what a sorrowful thing. It's from Aunt Susan, as if... She reads it aloud. My dear Sally, I write these lines in the room in which I hope you will read them, though when, I do not know. Not very far away, perhaps. They are to say, how do you do to you all, and welcome, and to tell you not to be much cast down by the little troubles and cares of this world, and especially if you bring such troubles on yourselves. Have courage, and walk straight through them, everyone. Your dear mother was my only sister, and what I am hoping is that you will all be comfortable in this little old house where she and I were born, and where we spent our childhood together. Be as happy as you may, and as wise as you can, and be these both together. Saturday's child worked hard for a living, but... I expect she had a little rest on Sunday. There, that isn't a very long sermon, is it? Goodbye, my dear Sally, and I send you and your sisters and your brother my regard and affection, and remain your affectionate Aunt Susan. P.S. A kiss for little Anne. Sally sits, stooping low over the letter. She draws Anne close and kisses her. There, precious, precious mummykins, I give you Aunt Susan's kiss, and we will try to make each other happy, won't we? Tony, ladling out blackcurrant jam with a large wooden spoon. We will. What's more, Sally, there's nobody here, so it looks as if we were going to be alone for a bit. So we must share out the work. I'll do the fires, and perhaps the boots, and chop down the trees, and chop up the logs, and explore, and pluck the poultry. I'll make the beds, and look after the larder, and do all the cooking. Potatoes in their jackets, Tony and dripping toast, and mince pies, and... and tipsy cake. And I'll help in everything, and do the mending, and the housekeeping, and the tradesmen, and look after mummykins. 
and Anne'll polish up all the candlesticks and all the coal scuckles and wind up all the clocks. Please, Sally, may I wind up all the clocks now? Very soon, Mummykins. And keep them an hour slow in the mornings and two hours slow in the evening. Jiminy, France, if it hadn't been for the mumps. Sally, broodingly. I didn't think, France, I could ever be so happy. On the very verge, you know. It's as if one had died, and... How strangely still the house is, and the cold, starry garden. I had hardly dare breathe. Time is so queer. Six hours ago, we were kissing poor father goodbye under that hideous old portico. Six hours ago, it was Bayswater. Can you believe that the house is there? There now? What is to prove it isn't a dream? I think, Sally, if I were to wake up now in, in Bayswater, I should never forgive myself. I should just numb off like stone in my bed. Who knows, France? Perhaps we are just people in a story. Then us will all be changed into wild swans, Sally, and fly, fly away over the trees to the sea. She rocks herself to and fro as if she heard the unending lullaby of the tides. I say, I'm getting the creeps. Sally, scrambling to her feet. So am I, Tony. If we go on moaning like this, we shall fall asleep in real earnest. Look at the muddle, all mine. Come along, France. Come along, Tony. We must keep the house as if Aunt Susan were coming back the very next minute. All tidy, and you go and choose the bedrooms. And don't you think, France, as it's so warm and cozy here by the fire, we might, just tonight, make a little bed for Mummykins in that chair, and I'll curl up on the settle. Would you like that, Nan? Anne, out of a huge yawn. Please, Sally, then you and me'll wake up and see the moon shining and hear the wind. Sally busies herself about the room. Francis and Tony, laden with clothes out of the trunk, go off with candles by the door at the left. Sally undresses Anne to her petticoats, swathes her up in a big dressing gown, and tucks her up in an armchair. There, you sweet old Sallykins, only joy, so sleepy. Say prayers, and Sally shall sing you a hushabye on that queer little old piano. With little ceremonious gestures, she one by one blows out the candles. Anne nods. Sally is just about to sit down at the spinet when Frances's voice is heard calling her from above. She goes out. The long, low room is lit now only by the smoldering firelight. In its further shadowiness becomes visible the ghostly figure that appeared to be in watch for the children. Suddenly Anne starts out of her first sleep with a cry, wriggles up into her chair, and kneeling with sleep-ridden eyes, peers over the top of it at the interloper, who smiles gently at her out of a quiet, old, peaceful face. Do you live here, if you please? You must be very, very lonely all alone. You're standing extremely far off from the fire. Please come and warm yourself. The ghost lightly raises her hands as if unwilling or forbidden to approach nearer. Anne frowns and rubs her eyes. Anne can't see you all the time because her eyes go round and round. Sally comes softly in. Anne, to ghost. Why now? She's gone. Sally puts her arms about the child. There, Nan, there. You are dreaming, sweetheart. Anne, indignantly. I'm not dreaming, Sally. She smiled at me, she did. But, oh, so lonely. Sally, whispering and glancing uneasily over her shoulder. Who, my sweet? 
Who is lonely? Where? Anne, drooping to sleep again, and muttering drowsily. The little old lady, of course. And you said you would sing to me. The small, plaintive voice ebbs into silence. Sally covers the child up, then, lifting her candle, opens the door opposite to that by which Francis has gone out, and calls faintly. Who is that? Please, is anyone there? Silence. She locks the door, then lifts her candle higher, peers toward the dark window, and mocks in a small voice at her reflection there. Ghosts indeed! Silly Sally, silly Sally! She kneels down for a moment or two beside Anne, then seats herself at the spinet. The tinkling keys sound like a faintly cantankerous voice reawakened out of a quiet, centuries old. She sings. Now silent falls the cackling mill, sweet, sweeter smells the briar, the dew wells big on bud and twig, the glowworms wrapped in fire. Then sing, lowly, lowly with me, and softly, lee la lo, love, tis high time and wild time, and no time, no love. The western sky has veiled her rose, the night wine to the willow, sigheth, now lovely lean thy head, thy tresses be my pillow. Then sing, lowly, lowly with me, and softly, lee la lo, love, tis high time and wild time, and no time, no love. Cries in the brake, bells in the sea, the moon o'er moor and mountain, curdles her light from height to height, bedazzles pool and fountain, leaf fox, hoot owl, whale warbler sweet. Tis midnight's now a brewing, the fairy mob is all aboard, and witches at their wooing. Then sing lily lully with me, and softly lee la lo love, tis high time and wild time, and no time, no love. During the last refrain, the nearer door has stealthily opened, admitting Francis, attired in a high-frilled bedcap, swaying balloon-like skirts, and silks and shawls sheening with as many colors as Joseph's coat. She twirls in a soundless pirouette to the music. Sally turns and sees her. France, how you startled me! Sally, Sally, my angel, my own! I could dance the eyes out of my head. You could have no notion how that tinkle, tinkle, tinkle skips, echoing up in those hundreds of little old empty rooms and corridors. Empty and empty. Sleep? Not me. Dream this side, say I, when you can. But, France, you mad thing, what on earth have you on? Well, I was just sick to death of Aunt, Aunt Bayswater's taste in frocks. Oh, how they jeered at me at school. It really is very queer. I discovered that if you turn them inside out like this, and mercy, what isn't inside out in this delicious old topsy-turvy dream of a house? You look so... It means, Sally, that even Aunt's dressmaker must have rebelled. But the nightcap and those marvelous shawls. All out of the wardrobe in the third little room down the corridor, past the enormous enormous bowl of potpourri on the teeny tiny window sill, looking out at the dove coat. One was cooing, cooing, Sally, like this, as if to that nimble moon we saw in the train that sunk down under the woods. But you never saw such a sight. But I have seen such a sight. In the long-looking glass, that's what frightened me, Sally. She lays her finger on her lip with wide-open eyes. Frightened you? What? Why, I 
could have vowed i saw an old old smiling ghostly face peering into the glass with me over my shoulder sally to herself and anne too but my dear it's friendly the house the wind the very tick of that old clock out there even the cabman's old white rattle-ribbed poly they are friendly france and if we only love them enough i feel in the very bones of me that they'll love us too inside out that's it and i'll i'll be dashed france if we don't go out and do the same why shouldn't we oh how i've wasted myself it's freedom and to-morrow may never come but hush we mustn't wake anne as soon as she is gone frances laying her hands upon the air is once more beginning to rotate when tony abruptly appears as if straight out of the arabian nights a turkish towel for a turban round his head an old scimitar stuck in his silk sash his face as black as a chimney he strides forward snatching up his school top hat and rattling a tattoo on it as if it were a drum princess the hour is late the horses wait by the brazen gate it is our fate we must away for the last derisive thump he concertinas his hat and flips it into the fire bold prince avant i have an aunt she's pale and gaunt and she says i can't oh tony tony i could dance myself into my grave and listen listen surely that cannot be only the rising of the wind tony ferociously the house is lone the trees do groan and wail and moan i'll seize the throne how oh, let's be gone sally reappears arranged in all the colors of the rainbow they dance and in the midst of their dancing the clock outside tolls its first stroke solemnly they count the strokes and at the twelfth midnight they stand aghast the wind sweeps moaning round the benighted old house as if burthened with the music of remote inhuman instruments and voices curtain end of act two